The following is a hoop bowl presentation. Well, it's been a while, but that's what tends to happen when the Lakers fall out in the first round. JC, we're back on the Hoop All Lakers podcast, and let's get right into it because a member of the Lakers coaching staff has found himself a head coaching gig once again. Jason Kidd and the Dallas Mavericks in agreement on a four-year deal to be the new head coach of a franchise led by Luka Doncic, Rick Carlisle, now with the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Four years, $29 million for Carlisle. Waiting to see the money on Kidd. JC... I know you think it's a good fit for Kidd in Dallas. Is this a major loss for the Lakers coaching staff? I mean, it's a major loss, but it also was the most inevitable of losses. He wasn't going to be an assistant forever, having been a head coach before. So you knew it was only a matter of time before he would find a head coaching job somewhere else. And, uh, and I mean, that's a pretty good one. That's one that nobody really thought was going to open up. After the Mavericks loss, Mark Cuban said that Rick Carlisle wasn't wasn't going to be fired and it's only because it seemed to be that Rick Rick Carlisle decided himself that he didn't want to return uh, is why the job opened up. Let's let's get into that a little bit just because we're going to do a sort of a general wrap around the NBA here with the Lakers not being in the prime area of focus but instead sort of being mentioned in tangential news. Very surprising to me to see Rick Carlisle and the Mavericks. I guess they agreed mutually to sort of part ways, but as you mentioned, definitely feels like or felt like Carlisle's decision. It feels like there may be a little bit of a power struggle going on in Dallas. You got, you know, we're not quite sure who's calling the, the shots in the front office. I know they just brought in that Nike exec along with Jason Kidd to sort of revamp it. But, you know, as long as Mark Cuban's there, the gambling man is there. There are many voices in that front office. Dirk Nowitzki's around, Michael Finley. Maybe Dirk acts as like a shadow GM at this point under Mark Cuban's advisement. Dallas has got to figure out some things, including whether or not Kristaps Porzingis can be uh, the, the second horse behind Luka Doncic there. And I think a lot, pe- a lot of people expected more from Dallas than what we saw. So I'm very curious to see how the Mavericks sort of move forward here. Oppositely, on the other end of that, JC, Rick Carlisle heading back to the Pacers. Um, no longer Malice in the Palace era, but... What a strong hire for that locker room, especially coming off a season where they took a chance on a head coach who very clearly did not work out, did not have anyone in that locker room. And that's a team that has far more talent than they showed during the season. They kind of underplayed in terms of their own expectations. Now with the Pacers, you got Karis LeVert, you have Malcolm Brogdon, you have some guys who can play, but I think they really underperform. And I think Rick Carlisle will really get the best out of those guys. Do you think that in, in terms of Dallas and Indiana, with Dallas hiring Jason Kidd and Indiana bringing in Carlisle, obviously for the Pacers, it's a clear upgrade. I don't know that you can call Kidd an upgrade on Carlisle. I don't think that would be fair to Carlisle. And we haven't seen Jason Kidd as a head coach in some period of time. But I think it's a great landing spot for both of those guys. And when it comes to the Lakers, as you said, we knew that Kidd wasn't going to be an assistant forever. In fact, there was some consideration and conversation prior to, you know, even Frank Vogel being interviewed, let alone hired, that Jason Kidd might be the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. So it's a loss, as you said. I don't know that it's a it's a major loss because it was something that they probably always brace for. But who do you think got the better end of that deal when it all shakes out, whether it's the Pacers, the Lakers, the Mavericks, everybody sort of swapping coaches here? 
Where, where are you at? Do you think Dallas is going to be better off with Jason Kidd than they were with Rick Carlisle, with Luka Doncic on the roster? Because I think we know the Pacers are going to clearly benefit by bringing in Rick Carlisle. Yeah, I, th- I think Luka Doncic is what sort of gives the edge to Dallas in both of these moves. But it, it could have just been as simply as it might have been a difference in philosophy and maybe Rick Carlisle thought what he's done with the Mavericks is about as good as he's ever going to do. And so... Yeah, a change of scenery would do him good. Change change of coach would do Luca good. Uh, all those things seem to probably somewhere fit in that equation. I think that makes sense. I mean, look, I think I think you hit it right on the head where Rick Carlisle kind of saw, okay, this is sort of the ceiling for this team. I don't see some other major change happening in terms of the roster construction. I'm at a point in my coaching career where I can't just stall out. So now I think, as he said, he's excited for his new sort of coaching challenge here. And as it comes back to the Lakers, JC, I think this is a team that, after we saw them really change their identity from the onset of the season, and in addition to that, all of the changes the roster had to sort of undergo uh, throughout the season, whether it was a a result of trying to upgrade the roster, trying to supplement injury situations, whatever it is, this feels like another offseason for the Lakers where there's going to be, I don't know if significant change is maybe overselling it, but there's going to be quite a bit of change up and down this roster. I mean, they've got a litany of free agents, some who you think will probably be returning, other ones who are more up in the air. Let me ask you this question, JC, which is not a question I expected to ask you or myself at any point prior to these playoffs. But now we see the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, down two games to one to the Suns currently, still very much in the mix despite Kawhi not being available. My best friend is a Clippers fan, JC, lifelong Clippers fan. And I asked him this question the other day, and he didn't really have an answer for me, so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you the same question. Six months ago, if I asked you who would get paid more in free agency this summer, Dennis Schroeder or Reggie Jackson, you would laugh and say it's not even a conversation. But at this point, I'm going to bring it up and ask you this question, JC. Who gets paid more in free agency this summer, Dennis Schroeder or Reggie Jackson? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> um... I mean, I still think Schroeder might command the salary he's thinking around the $20 million range. If that's what he's going to get, though, I don't think it's going to come from the Lakers. And so, yeah, I think I think Reggie Jackson might be happier staying where he's at at a slightly elevated salary than what he's getting now. But Schroeder might still go after the money, and because of that, he might get it. Schroeder has expressed a desire to remain in Los Angeles, but sort of with the caveat that as long as the money is right. And, you know, that's always tends to be the sort of standard response from players who are, you know, interested in returning, but not necessarily tied to a franchise. But by the same token, like you said, JC, I am not convinced Dennis Schroeder is a $20 million a year player. And I am certainly not convinced that he's a $20 million a year player on this particular Lakers team. 
I don't know that he can be good enough to be that third cog alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And of course, those guys had injury constraints and injury considerations. And Schroeder himself dealt with some things this season, whether it was, you know, sort of a gimpy ankle. A couple times he was in the COVID protocols going back and forth. You know, we saw Schroeder perform really well toward the start of the season. He was hitting the three-point shot. He was playing good defense. The energy was always there. But toward the tail end of the season, it really sort of felt like it began to fall off. And that that was a really concerning thing. And no matter what the Lakers' backcourt looks like next, next season, they have to bring in an additional playmaker. I think that was one thing that was really apparent, especially as the Lakers sort of limped to the finish line, in particular the first round versus Phoenix. Is, you know, there was a lot of standing around. There was never questions about the defense so much this season as it was about the offense, the stagnant looks, the everybody waiting for LeBron to do something. And look, I know Anthony Davis wasn't available for a lot of the time. I know LeBron himself was out of the lineup, but it just felt like a lot of that sort of last couple of years of Kobe's career where all the young guns were standing around waiting for Kobe to do something, looking like a fan on the court rather than a member of the team. And I thought that that was a real impediment toward the Lakers doing anything that they had their sights set on doing regardless of the health situation. So now I look at Dennis Schroeder more than anything as a potential sign and trade chip because I think that's what the Lakers are going to have to explore if they're serious about improving the overall ceiling of this roster. Of course, LeBron's not getting any younger, AD still in the prime, but both coming off of pretty considerable injuries in terms of their availability, their explosiveness, their just, you know, general presence on the basketball court. It feels like the Lakers really need to explore that market a little bit harder. Kyle Kuzma has removed the Lakers from his Instagram bio. He's doing his best drama king impersonation. We know that Kuzma's name will come up in trade talks once again this summer because it is an annual affair, especially now that he's under contract at a reasonable number. Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Kuzma is not quite Marshawn Brooks, Chris Humphreys, and a pick to go back to a Nets joke from many years ago. But it's getting to a point now where it feels like everybody in the league knows this is what the Lakers have available. We see things like Ben Simmons is discussing his future with the Philadelphia 76ers and where he might land. I still think Miami makes the most sense if they're going to make a major deal like that because Miami has some interesting young pieces, a la Tyler Hero. I don't see it happening for the Lakers, but I do think the Lakers could go after some interesting names. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a name who's a little bit under the radar and has some interest in playing in Los Angeles. And I think Kyle Lowry is a scenario that could be revisited by the Lakers. Do you see either one of those two names as plausible? And I'll throw another one at you because, of course, he was just traded to the Thunder, and they don't really have any real use for Kemba Walker. And Kemba Walker, and I'll give you my thoughts on on all three of those guys after I hear from you. Yeah, I think all three of those are are really plausible in in that, um, yeah, the the unfortunate thing with Dennis Schroeder, and it's not necessarily going to be a knock on him, it's just that he... He picked a bad time to really kind of flame out toward the end of the season because this point guard market is so saturated. The the Lakers almost have to see what else is out there because so much out there is gettable. Yeah, a a trade package with Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder I think can fetch probably maybe even more than than it might have in in February. Uh, Dinwiddie's a possibility because he wants to come to L.A., Kyle Lowry is a possibility uh, just because he's going to be available. He might be willing to come down from, I mean, he made $30 million last season. He's probably going to be willing to come down from that a little bit. If the Lakers are going to spend, are going to end up spending 18 to 20 million on a point guard, I wouldn't do it on Dennis Schroeder. I would see what else is out there. Dinwiddie's out there. Kyle Lowry. Yeah. You mentioned Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is someone who 
when he was a free agent signed with Boston, Boston kind of seemed to come out of nowhere, and it seemed like the Lakers sort of had a decent shot at him. And a situation like the Lakers might be good for Kemba because he's not necessarily going to be forced to to be the guy. Um, here's one name I do want to throw at you because I, I think I'm interested to see what your thoughts on it. So the Lakers won a championship with LeBron being the primary playmaker, led the league in assists. He was basically the de facto point guard. We've talked about how you can insert Caruso into the starting point guard lineup and not really have him be a primary point guard. But what do you think of this free agent as a good defensive signing, as a streaky three-point shooter, as somebody who will be in the lineup as a point guard, you know, rabbit ears point guard, but not necessarily a ball maker, but somebody that LeBron can set up really at any time? Austin Rivers. Wow. So I'm a little jaded on Austin Rivers, but I, I like the general idea that you're that you're pursuing there. I think the Lakers should be considerate of not necessarily trying to find a quote unquote point guard just to fill that spot, but somebody who can play off the ball and have that level of effectiveness. I think that's something we've seen from Dinwiddie in the past as well. And I and I like Dinwiddie over Rivers in that particular role, assuming that Dinwiddie is of course has the clean bill of health and there's no limitations. My biggest you know, sort of consideration about adding backcourt help no matter where they go because you, you know the Lakers are going to have to do something in the backcourt. And this is why I'm not as hot on like the Kemba Walker idea, for example, is I still want them to be committed to defense. And, you know, this is still a Frank Vogel-led team. This is still going to be a defense-first team. And I think one of the things that Boston really struggled with when they sort of swapped Al Horford for Kemba Walker was that Kemba Walker is not necessarily a playmaker, whereas Al Horford, especially at this stage in his career, you can run the offense through him. But more importantly than that is they really sacrifice something on the defensive end because although Al Horford may not be the most dynamic one-on-one defender at this stage of his career, he is still an excellent team defender and he communicates well. And I think that's something Boston really missed. And when you replace that with an undersized point guard who's always going to be a sort of mismatch or a defensive liability on the other end of the floor, you really sacrifice something in terms of the totality of the team. So that's my main consideration when the Lakers are adding backcourt help. Now, Kyle Lowry isn't exactly the biggest guy in the world either, but he's sort of a bulldog and he's a little bit bigger in terms of his frame. Kemba Walker is slight. Kemba Walker's had knee issues for the last three or four years, pretty much consecutively at this point. His efficiency hasn't exactly gone up from the field. So I'm a little concerned about adding a player of that mold, despite the sort of scoring uh, appeal, if you will. So I, I think of any of those names, including Rivers, I feel like Dinwiddie would be maybe the most realistic free agent outright signing. I think those other options, when you're talking about bigger names in terms of Kyle Lowry, Kemba Walker, even Ben Simmons, right? Not Austin Rivers so much, but those other three, you're looking at sign and trade deals. And that's not only going to take, you know, another team's cooperation willingness, but it's also going to take Dennis Schroeder's willingness as well if he's part of that deal as an unrestricted free agent himself. Do you think the Lakers can get anything just for Kyle Kuzma straight up on his own? Because even though Caruso's eligible for free agency, Taylor Horton Tucker, restricted free agent, it doesn't strike me as the, as those are guys that the Lakers are looking to move on from. I think they want to keep both of those guys. So it feels like, again, to circle back to Schroeder and Kuzma, these are really the two main pieces here that the Lakers could potentially package in an effort to upgrade the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think around the league, one for one, uh, you know, you can maybe do Kuzma for Buddy Heald, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I think a, a, an environment like Sacramento, Kuzma would thrive in. And it seems like, based on some of the things we've been hearing, is that Kuzma, and this is sort of the question I had all year. It's like, 
are you happy being a Laker or do you want to be, you know, one of these superstars in the league? Because if he does, he's not going to do that in L.A. So if he wants to be somebody who's putting who's getting his numbers, who's putting up his stats, he's definitely not going to do that in Los Angeles. And he can do that in like a Sacramento or a Detroit. I think and I think I, I think that's that's a good point, because I think Kyle Kuzma may have reached that place in his career, especially now that he's got an NBA title. I think he really enjoys being a Laker, but I don't think his whole identity as a basketball player is necessarily wrapped up in being in Los Angeles wearing a purple and gold. So I think we'll still hear his name on the trade market. And then while we're on Caruso, of course, we'd be remiss to mention that headlines everywhere this week, Alex Caruso arrested for possession of marijuana under two ounces. And because nobody reads past the headline, let me tell you exactly what that means. Caruso left a grinder in his bag and tried to board a flight, and they found a grinder, and therefore he was arrested in the great state of Texas, JC, where you are so fortunate to call home. This is becoming a headline for whatever rhyme or reason, because anytime a professional basketball player or any celebrity is arrested for the slightest thing, it is, of course, world-breaking news. But in the year 2021, with marijuana being legal in most of the United States, this is not a story. In fact, I think this only helps the legend of Caruso grow a little bit more loudly in Lakerland, if anything else. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why it became a headline is because it's it's more funny than anything else. Like the 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 fact that he was where he was arrested in Texas and College Station. If you know anything about Texas, it's no surprise that anyone would still be getting arrested for weed in that part of Texas. Um, they they've written. I think it's only because it had to do with the plane is why he was arrested. They they've rewritten the laws to where ma- marijuana is not necessarily legal in Texas, but specifically the reason why they specified under two ounces is because if you're if you're caught with under two ounces, basically you're going to get a literal slap on the wrist, and a, and you're going to get some type of paperwork saying the cop didn't want to fill out any official paperwork saying you broke the law. Just try not to get caught with less than two ounces of weed again, and if you do, it's not a big deal. Incredible. I mean, this is where we are in society. And to be honest, if I'm a professional basketball uh, general manager, if I'm if I'm a front office executive, any of these things, I'd much rather my players smoke weed than take any sort of pain pills and develop an opiate addiction. So I'm yeah. all. I was kind of relieved. I was like, the dude's got a bad back. He should be smoking pot. <laughs> I mean, really, the Lakers had absolutely no time to rest this off season. They they dealt with injuries throughout. Caruso's always on the floor. Um, it, it sort of reminds me, you know, and brings up a larger point, which is, first of all, LeBron's reaction to Caruso's ar- uh, arrest for, for the herb grinder was absolutely epic because, you know, he got in on some of the fun on social media, on Twitter saying, you know, that's my boy. I'm going to get you out all this stuff. Right. So we love we love when LeBron joins in on the fun. But when it comes back to the Lakers in terms of sort of their their lack of rest this season, I think that was clearly a factor. I mean, toward the end of the season, I remember when we were discussing J.C., that they looked flat. And it wasn't because of a lack of talent. It was a lack of energy. I mean, their shots were literally short. You could see the knees weren't quite there for a lot of these guys, especially as they were pressing to expanded roles. But Caruso's a guy who's always on the floor. I mean, he plays, you know, with his heart on his sleeve. He takes charges. He does the dirty work. So he's going to get in situations where he might tweak an ankle, his back, hit his head, whatever it is. And I bring that up because that's something that Anthony Davis, I see consistently from him. And that's something I want to see him change. I think one of the things Anthony Davis needs to focus on this offseason, JC, is to get stronger without getting bigger. And what I mean by that is just sort of toning up his body, really focusing on, on core strength and back strength. And when he is playing defense, I need him to stay off the floor. I can't have Anthony Davis and all seven feet of his lanky ass frame falling down to the court every time where he's going to break his fall, twist his ankle, strain his knee, stretches growing, whatever it's going to be, 
Anthony Davis has to be available for this team. He His availability at this point in their careers might even be more essential than LeBron James's availability to this team. And that's what the Lakers need from AD going forward. They need him to get stronger without getting bigger, really focus on some of those yoga, Pilates types of exercises to increase his core strength and his flexibility and to have him available for a full season. Because when Anthony Davis was in the lineup outside of game one against Phoenix, and we saw the Anthony Davis that we saw in the bubble, JC, we saw that this Lakers team can compete with a healthy with a healthy Anthony Davis. This Lakers team can be the best team in the NBA with a healthy Anthony Davis. I'm not saying LeBron is a bonus because obviously LeBron is more than that, but clearly this is all about Anthony Davis going forward. And I think if you ask LeBron that same question, he would acknowledge that with the same answer as well. Yeah, I think I think Chris Paul is somebody to look at, and even even LeBron himself. Uh, two years ago. Chris Paul's contract looked terrible because he was always injured. He always seemed to have something going on with his body. He sort of changed his philosophy, switched to a plant-based diet. He he changed up the way he kind of rehabs and and yeah, now he's 36, but he he looks like he's turned back the clock three or four years. And so yeah, and, and LeBron used to have those cramping issues. He spent a lot of money trying to figure out into why that happens, how he can pre- prevent it from happening. It's never really happened again. He tore his groin one, or he 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 hurt his groin once. Did the same thing. Spent a lot of money to figure out why it happened. How can I prevent it from happening again? Hasn't really been an issue since. So yeah, Anthony Davis needs to to do something like that. It's it's. I mean, you know, if you want to do that, if they've got to spend some of their own money probably to to look into why some of these injuries happen and how they can prevent them from happening again. When the season first started, JC, and or even before the season started. And Chris Paul was traded to Phoenix. We all kind of sat here and said, really? The Suns? Like, is he going to be there for a year and that's going to be it? Like, what is he going to do for that team? We should have known better because all he does is sort of elevate teams around him. We saw it with the Thunder and now we see it with the Suns. And now the Suns are just a couple of wins away from going to the NBA Finals, which is what a surreal sentence to say. Lakers are out. Nets are out. All, all the big all big boys are out except for the Bucks, basically. And now, now you have this Suns team with Chris Paul now that he's back in the lineup after his own battle with COVID protocol situation. And we got the report about two, three weeks ago that, you know, Chris Paul is expected to decline his, his option for 40 plus million dollars. Is, is Chris Paul a consideration for the Lakers? And, you know, if the Suns make the finals, regardless of, of how they ultimately perform, do you see a scenario where he's leaving the desert? Because it sort of feels like he's, he's made his home there and that might be his, his final chapter. Yeah, I, I thought maybe there was a possibility just because I'm sure him and LeBron have always wanted to play together. Um, but then I read about his relationship with Monty Williams and, and all that, and I'm like, he's not leaving Phoenix. He's not He's not leaving Monty Williams. Yeah, I don't see it either. And Monty Williams is a guy who, you know, going back to when the Lakers were searching for their head coach, I really wanted the Lakers to hire because of exactly that. He's amazing with his relationship development with his players, the culture that he sets around the team. I mean, I really believe in this head coach. I think he's probably one of the most underrated head coaches in the NBA. And out in the Eastern Conference right now, JC, you have another head coach who I find to be extremely underrated and one Nate McMillan because this Hawks team, this is basically the same Hawks team that we've had all season. Lloyd Pierce couldn't get through to them. They were playing basically 500, a little bit under. Now they don't have DeAndre Hunter who is playing lights out for them at the start of the season, but they are just three wins away from going to the NBA Finals. And as we talked about Luka on the show, as we talked about Monty Williams and underrated head coaches, I bring it back to you and I say, Trey Young, JC, Trey Young for Luka Doncic. Is it time to reevaluate that trade? 
Uh, I mean, I think at this point, both teams are going to be happy with, with, with how they ended up. I don't, as good as Trey Young has been playing, I don't necessarily think you'd find a lot of Dallas fans willing to, to kind of reswap and, and go back in time and, and do that. Uh, just because they, they, they've both played amazing in the playoffs. Um, I've talked about how I had that joke when, when Trey Young was drafted that every time he'd have a good game, I would joke on Twitter and be like, eh, I'm not convinced yet. Um, I've long since been convinced. He's obviously great. And, uh, yeah, I think at this point both fan bases are, are happy with, with what they've got. My only complaint about Trey Young is I wish he would cut his baby hairs and, and do the Caruso <laughs> and just commit to shaving that head. But I'll let him have it for now so long as he's continuing to hit those 30-footers. But, yes, I agree. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, they're both great players. I think if you swap both of them, I don't think it changes anything about the ceiling of either team. I think the, the respective teams would probably still be in their respective situations. Uh, but I do think, you know, after so many iterations of hearing that how could Atlanta do this, they passed up on Luka, da-da-da, all these things, I don't think anyone's complaining anymore. And I think that's how trades in reality, that's how they should be, right? There's enough room for both sides to win. You need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that. Of course, if they had gotten a little bit more on that back end, if that second first round pick that Atlanta wound up getting could have been a little bit more than what it has become, maybe that weighs in a little bit more with a little bit more consideration. But at the end of the day, Trey for Luca has benefited both franchises. Both franchises are happy to have those guys, as you said. And we could be in a scenario, JC, where next week we could be staring at a Hawks-Suns NBA Finals. And I do not care what anyone says. There is no one on this earth, not even the reddest Hawks fan, not even the brightest, orangest Suns fan, could have predicted a Suns-Hawks NBA Finals in the year 2021. <laughs> no, not at all. That's, and that's amazing to me. I think at this point... You have to consider still the Suns being the favorite in that in their Western Conference final against the Clippers, especially Sans Kawhi and especially with Chris Paul back in the lineup. Although Chris Paul looked exhausted when he returned. And, and that's not to be unexpected because he's been sitting around not doing anything. And Devin Booker, JC, looked like he was really struggling with that mask. And that's that shouldn't come as a surprise either. If you haven't worn a mask at any point in your career and all of a sudden you got to look through a giant piece of plastic, sort of sacrifice some of your peripheral vision – it's going to be an adjustment for them. And I'm curious to see if the Suns, when they're able to, to regroup going into game four, because if they allow the Clippers to tie this series, it will be a brand new series. Remember, they barely won game two on that miracle alley-oop, channeling their best Tyson Chandler from a few years ago with DeAndre Ayton going up and at him. But the Hawks look like a team that no matter what happens in game two and going forward, they look like a team that could very well be in control of this series because they know what they've got to do to force the Bucks' hand. And as long as they protect that paint and keep Giannis out of there, make him a jump shooter, and Chris Middleton doesn't go off to be the ultimate all-star, Drew Holiday's been struggling a little bit offensively, although he continues to play elite defense, I think there's a recipe in store for the Hawks to beat the Bucks. I do not think the Bucks are unbeatable. But if the Bucks cannot come out of the Eastern Conference in this particular year, given their roadmap to a potential NBA Finals, I think Milwaukee has to look very, very inwardly to determine if this roster is ever going to be good enough to win it all. Yeah, it's funny with the with the Hawks. I my analysis in the last two series has kind of been spot on, but also like way off. Like I I thought against Philadelphia. Ben Simmons would, would eat Trey Young alive. And there were times when he was guarding him, he did kind of hold Trey Young to some bad shooting nights, but it didn't seem to matter. And against Milwaukee, 
I was like, on, on offense, Drew Holiday is not Ben Simmons. Trey Young is going to have to actually guard Drew Holiday. And sure enough, Drew Holiday torched him in game one, but it didn't seem to matter because Trey Young went off 48. So, uh, yeah, I, it's it's hard to really predict that series. But, yeah, it seems like Atlanta does kind of have it have it in the bag. And if, if it's if it's Atlanta versus Phoenix, it'll be, um, you know, I know, Th- I know Thibodeau ended up being the coach of the year, but it'll, it'll, it'll end up being the two best coaches throughout the season. Like Atlanta – how they took off after putting Nate McMillan in that interim spot and Monty Williams and what he's been able to do. Yeah. It's, it'll, it'll be one of the best coaching matchup finals we've seen in a really long time. Ben Simmons, JC is going to have to do a lot in order to sort of reclaim his status as, you know, a a top tier point guard in this league. And, you know, one of those things he's going to have to do is just shoot the basketball. I don't, I don't know how else to say it at this point. That one play where he passed up a wide-open layup just to dish it off to Tybal, where they got one of the two free throws. I mean, Joel Embiid said it himself out there playing on a torn meniscus. That was the turning point of that game. Ben Simmons was playing scared. And if I'm running an NBA franchise and I am maxing out two guys, there is no scenario in which either of those, those two guys cannot be on the floor. And that's what we saw in Philly. Ben Simmons was unplayable, JC. And that cannot happen for a star making max money who is one of the two most important people on the floor. Yeah, it's it's I can't recall the last time I've been that disappointed in, in a player that I, that I've liked to to see what he's become offensively is it's just kind of sad. Um and yeah, as far as where he might go, um I do think one scenario that would work out for him pretty well, although I kind of hope it doesn't happen because it would sort of ruin one of my hopeful uh signings for the Lakers is you know, San Antonio is probably going to be in a little bit of a rebuild. Greg Popovich has gone on record saying he thinks Ben Simmons is a heck of a player and it doesn't matter that he can't shoot. And so I could see San Antonio kind of doing a sign-and-trade with DeMar DeRozan since he might leave anyway. You might, If you can get something out of him, why not get Ben Simmons? And Because um, Tony Parker used to be somebody really similar. He was super athletic when he first came into the league, really good passer. He just couldn't shoot. And San Antonio employs a, uh, I forgot his name, but uh, basically a shooting coach who like turned around Tony Parker's career and turned him into a, a decent jump shooter the rest of his career after like year three or four. And so, yeah, I think San Antonio is a good landing spot for Ben Simmons. Um, it just matters whether or not how coachable he's going to be. Tony Parker, infinitely more coachable than Ben Simmons probably is. I, I like that you brought up San Antonio and sort of exploring these unorthodox potential landing spots. And I'm glad that you brought up DeMar DeRozan because he's a guy who I think the Lakers and probably DeRozan himself have both considered one another both in, both in the past and moving forward. In the sort of scheme that you mentioned earlier when we were talking, JC, about the Lakers not necessarily bringing in a quote-unquote point guard, but putting LeBron back in that role and DeMar DeRozan becoming available, I would love to see DeMar DeRozan on the Lakers. I think that's the kind of player, especially as he's become more of a playmaker as his career has evolved and we've seen him sort of round out his game. He's become a better shooter as well. That's the kind of player I could see really making a a big difference for the Lakers without anyone sort of uh, expecting a max price tag or anything close to it to come with him. Yeah, and and I can't remember what game it was I was watching a few weeks ago, but I was watching it and in my head I was thinking – the NBA is sort of regressing back a little bit into, you know, like three or four years ago, it was all threes all the time. Houston putting up 50, 60 three-pointers a game. 
it seems like it's sort of getting back to that to where the mid-range is becoming a little bit more valuable. Chris Paul kills in the mid-range. Giannis kills in the mid-range. Kawhi, Durant, they all kill in the mid-range. And so the mid-range might be coming back. And if it is, DeMar is who you want. I mean, master of the mid-range, there's no doubt about that. And I think that's sort of an interesting consideration when it comes to the potential availability for you know, the Lakers to improve their team. And, and I think, you know, as the Lakers move forward here, they have to be really extra considerate about who and what will be serving them the best. Now, the Lakers have, what, 10 or 11 guys who could be potential free agents here. We talked about Schroeder. Montrez Harrell has a player option. I'm very curious to see what he's going to do with that because I don't think he's necessarily going to get more than $9 million if he were to decline that on the open market. But I think they're the way that he was sort of utilized or not so much at the end of the season has left a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth. Wes Matthews unrestricted, Alex Caruso unrestricted, Jared Dudley, Markeith Morris both unrestricted. THT is restricted as we discussed. Of course, Andre Drummond, Ben McLemore both unrestricted as in-season additions. Kosa Santanacumpo is restricted, Devontae Kaycock restricted. Of all of those guys, JC, it feels like I, I could see Montrez being back on his player option. I think the Lakers have interest in bringing back Wes Matthews on a minimum or sort of another biannual deal kind of, you know, under $4 million contract. It feels likely that Alex Caruso will be, will be back. I don't know if Markeith Morris will be back, but he's talked about wanting to be on the Lakers with this team. So I hope he comes back. But THT is the only guy who really sticks out to me as uh, in bright colors to say, well, the Lakers definitely want this guy back. And Caruso is pretty high up there as well. But if the rest of those guys depart, including Drummond, McLemore, and Schroeder, well, that's a big change for this roster once again, and it may result in them slightly tweaking their identity again for the third time in three seasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, effort guys I would bring back. Like, I know uh, Montrez and, and maybe Frank Vogel aren't quite vibing the way people would like because uh, I'm not sure what happened towards the end of the season. But, I mean, the first half of the season, I loved Montrez's effort. Uh, I thought he was playing really well. Coming off the bench, I just I like that spot for him. Uh, so the high effort guys, Markeith, Trez, Caruso, Wesley Matthews, I'd bring all those guys back. Uh, THT, I definitely would love to see back. Uh, if a team, if a team were to come out and just offer some kind of a crazy, no way you turn it down deal, like a Sacramento were to be like, you know what, we're just gonna blow this thing up. We like THT. What about De'Aaron De- Fox? Like, yeah. Take THD. Give us Tier and Fox. Um, like something crazy like that. Other than that, I would hold on to him. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think that's what makes the most sense here. And unless they receive an offer that they literally can't refuse, THC is a guy who, again, he can take another step forward as a playmaker, as a defender, as a shooter. I think the Lakers have to be considerate of how they can continue to develop talent from within, considering they won't be major players in the drafts over the next several years. Not that this draft is anything to write home about anyway, but, you know, as a result of the Anthony Davis trade and subsequent trades that they've made, they're not going to be major players in this draft. And that's never how the Lakers have traditionally built their roster over time. So I think they have to be considerate about how they can continue to develop that talent from within. So I think if anything, I'd be willing to bet that THC is back. I'd be willing to bet that Alex Caruso is back. I think Trez picks up his player option. And I think Wes Matthews wants to come back. But outside of that, Drummond was nice because he was available on the minimum. But he was not nice at the end of the season. He did not deserve to play, period. Marcus All was better than he was. He was a better fit for the lineup. He was a better producer. Andre Drummond, I've never seen a guy who's so big, so large, who can rebound the ball so well, who is not at all any kind of presence on the basketball court. It's sort of baffling to me, for lack of a better way to say it. 
Outside of that, JC, I think the Lakers have to get better with their interior defense, especially if Anthony Davis isn't going to spend considerable time at the five. They have to improve their interior defense. They have to get at least one more playmaker. And of course, like we say almost every season, I feel like the shooting has to be better. KCP went cold at the totally wrong time. Wes Matthews, although he had some good games, some good performances in particular in the second half, never really found his groove. They need that 3 and D guy, and I know you're going to kill me for bringing up his name, but this is why I wanted Jay Crowder on the Lakers, JC, because, damn, wouldn't he just be a perfect fit right now? No, I never I never disagreed with the Jay Crowder take. I just I, I felt like he was such a good fit in Miami, and, and he's done so well in Phoenix. It, it seemed like it would just be really hard to get him, but, yeah, if they could have finagled that, I would have been – Fine with it. Like I, yeah, I've been on record saying I, when he was in Cleveland with LeBron, Cleveland never should have traded him because I thought they were working really well together, and he's always somebody I wanted to see play with LeBron. And so, yeah. For the next episode, JC, we'll go through some potential targets, talk about who the Lakers could queue up once free agency starts. But for now, let's leave it here. Who's coming out of the Western Conference? Who's coming out of the Eastern Conference? And JC, who's winning it all? Uh, well, I mean, a few weeks ago, or the last time I recorded, I think I called Phoenix and Milwaukee, and so I'm close to that happening. But it, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see Phoenix in, in Atlanta. I'd like to see that coaching matchup. Um, I think it'd be, I think it'd be good for Trey Young. I think Trey Young's been shocking the world, and for him to play as well as he has been, only, to, only, to, only to be rewarded with having to play Chris Paul in the NBA Finals. Um, would be really cool to see. And in, in that scenario, I think Chris Paul would kind of school him. And not that I necessarily want him to, but because uh, I have any animosity towards Trey Young. But I'd, I'd be happy to see Chris Young, Chris Paul win. And, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to see that matchup. I'm going with Phoenix. I'm going with Atlanta. And ultimately, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. But the 2021 NBA championship to be awarded to Monty Williams, Phoenix Suns put some respect on Devin Booker's name, and the Phoenix Suns bring it home to the desert. What an unbelievably weird year it has been in basketball. I am looking forward to the resumption of an improved normalcy when it comes to the schedule, the rest of the world, and everything in between. JC, if the Phoenix Suns are NBA champions, at least the Lakers can say that they lost to the ultimate NBA champions. Not that there's any real solace in that, but it's another footnote on an otherwise weird and wacky season. Make sure you follow our show at Hoopball Lakers. You can follow JC on Twitter at JCDeLeon1, and you can follow me at Ethan underscore Noroff. Only one F on that last name. Trust me, it's easier than the original. Until next time, Laker Nation, be well. Enjoy the final games of the hoop season, and get ready for draft and free agency because it's right around the corner. We'll talk to you soon. We out. <laughs>